0: Thanks for listening to Matt McLaughlin History. Become a subscriber to receive exclusive bonus episodes, ad-free listening, early access to all episodes, and special member-only events. Click on the link in the show notes or visit patreon.com forward slash mmhistory. Hiring for your small business?
1: If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place.
0: Hello, it's Battlefield Historian Matt McLaughlin here and thank you for joining me for another small little taste of history. It's November and that means a very special day of commemoration and I've noted that a number of people have contacted me lately to ask what is the significance of Remembrance Day or Veterans Day as it's known in the US? Why do we commemorate this day? What does it all mean? So that's what we're going to talk about today. It's going to be a fairly impromptu presentation. I don't have any notes I'm just going to talk about it and hopefully we can explain a little bit about what this really significant day of remembrance is all about. So let's jump straight in. When we talk about Remembrance Day or Veterans Day, we're talking about the First World War from at least a historic perspective. And I won't go into a full history of the First World War. There's plenty of great sources on YouTube you to find out more about the First World War. But the basic idea was the First World War was fought between 1914 and 1918 between Germany and her allies and then a union of countries on the other side, which comprised Britain, France and Russia and other countries aligned with them, such as the future Commonwealth countries like Australia, where I'm coming to you from now, New Zealand, South Africa, India, the French colonial countries, Uh, And also, of course, America would eventually come into the conflict as well, but not until 1917. So the First World War, it was a truly world war, fought for those very bitter four years between 1914 and 1918, and fought in several theatres around the world, and drawing in men from around the globe, and women, of course, as well. People were affected by this war in just about every corner of the globe. Now... It ended in 1918 with Germany surrendering. Germany obviously lost the war uh, and it ended with the signature uh, on a piece of paper called the Armistice. The Armistice was what ended the fighting. And in 1918, in late 1918, the powers that were fighting this war came together to talk about what they could do to end the conflict. Germany was staring down the barrel of a massive military defeat and absolute pandemonium at home, and economic disaster. There were, people were starting to starve in the streets of Germany. It was a complete disaster for the for the German Empire, and it was obvious that, uh, that surrender was the only way to go. So they signed this document in November 1918, which effectively brought about an armistice. An armistice means an end to the fighting. So they signed this document in a railway carriage near the French town of Compiègne, uh, and after weeks of wrangling, the final decision and the signatures were finally made coincidentally on the 11th of november the 11th of the 11th so in the early hours germany signed the armistice and now word had to be sent out the war was over to the troops so they needed time for that to occur and so they chose the time of 11 a.m for the fighting to end it was just an arbitrary decision at 11 a.m the guns will fall silent and the war will be over I think, of course, they also liked the symmetry of 11am on the 11th of the 11th, 1918. But regardless for the reasons, this is what happened. At 11am, the guns fell silent, the soldiers left the frontline trenches, and the war that had been raging for four years was finally over. And so it was a pretty significant day, the armistice that ended the First World War. The next important thing to focus on in the story of Remembrance Day and Veterans Day is... What effect the First World War had had on the people of the world who participated in it. You have to understand that this was a conflict on a scale that had never been seen before. And just to give you some sort of indication of what wars had been like up to that point, let's go through a couple of wars that had been fought prior to the First World War and see what sort of effect they'd had. So, if we talk about a famous war like the American War of Independence, for example, which was fought from 1775 to 1783. It resulted in about 37,000 people killed on the battlefield. And when you add civilian casualties, people who died of disease, et cetera, you get a number of about 100,000 in total. That's a a big war, 100,000 people killed at the end of that war. Then you look to other wars like the Napoleonic Wars, for example, the famous wars in which Napoleon was eventually defeated. Uh, That ran from 1803 to 1815. So for 12 years, it was a very long war and actually quite a significant number of casualties. We're talking about three million casualties during the, the Napoleonic Wars. Three million people died during that conflict. And if we add civilians, civilians were caught up in many facets of that war. You're probably looking at twice that number. So the Napole- Napoleonic Wars did have a very big effect uh, on Europe in particular, but it was a very localised war. It was only the countries of Europe that were participating. If we move forward to something like the American Civil War fought between 1861 and 1861, And 1865, the most costly battle America has ever been involved in, the most costly war America has ever participated in, was the American Civil War. And that resulted in about 750,000 dead from that conflict. So, again, a very large number in only a short space of time in the four years of that war, 750,000 killed. From a British perspective, the war that occurred just before the First World War was the Boer War in South Africa, and that resulted in about 80,000 deaths on all sides. So we're getting some idea now of wars and the effects that they had on people. We don't want to make it too clinical and just say it's all about the numbers killed, but it does give an indication of the scale of the conflict and the effect it had on the people involved. Now we come to the First World War. So between 1914 and 1918... About 10 million people died during that war. 10 million men killed on the battlefield and some women as well. Is just an extraordinary number in four years of conflict. Nothing like it had ever been seen. And civilians, in spite of some opinions that sometimes go around, civilians were caught up in the First World War and about 10 million of those were killed as well. So we're talking about 20 million people who lost their lives as a direct result of the First World War. But then we also have to look at what happened after the war and it's something I think we'll all relate to in this day and age was the pandemic, the the Spanish flu pandemic which broke out around the world and that cost somewhere between 20 million and some estimates say 50 million people died from the Spanish flu. So we're talking numbers here, 10 million on the battlefield, 10 million civilians and somewhere north of 20 million people killed by the Spanish flu which obviously was a result of the First World War. It spread very quickly on the battlefields so we're talking tens of millions of people drawn into this war and tens of millions killed by it and that scale was just extraordinary it was something people who had never seen and for literally millions of grieving families they were overwhelmed with the scale of this war and people called it as we would see now rather naively people called it the war to end all wars it was a feeling that the first world war was just so mammoth it involved so many people In so many places and so many people were killed that war would never happen again. No one would make the mistake of going to war again after the horrors of the First World War. As we all know, sadly that was not to be, but it it starts to paint a picture of the impact that this huge conflict had on people all around the world. So the First World War was a gigantic conflict on a scale no one had ever seen and the next part of the story is seeing as there was this huge conflict that affected so many people and so many people died how would the people who had survived that war and the families of the men who had not come home how would they want to remember the conflict so obviously it had a huge effect on them and would for decades to come after the war but there are a couple of other things going on that affected the way in which people wanted to remember the first world war and the fact that this was such an unprecedented World event. And the first of those is that this truly was a world war. There were a number of theatres all over, particularly in Europe, all over Europe, but in other parts of the world as well. So there was fighting in many parts of the world. But in addition, most importantly, and probably the reason it was called a world war is because it drew in people from all over the war. So as we've said before, it drew in not just those nations of Europe that were fighting the war, but also people from very far afield. So Australia and New Zealand and South Africa, India, Canada, the United States, people from all over the world came to Europe to participate in this war. So again, that emphasises that unlike previous wars, in all parts of the world, there were going to be people who were affected by this conflict. The other thing to say about it is that because people had come from so far away family members of men who'd been killed on the battlefields in many cases were not able to visit the graves of their fallen sons so we're talking we're talking early in the 20th century when transportation was not particularly efficient at taking people around the world so if you were in Britain if you were in France if you were in Russia or Germany it was not going to be difficult to visit the grave of your fallen son but if you were in New Zealand if you were in Canada or the US, or Australia, or all these other far-flung countries, it was going to be virtually impossible for you to make that trip to Europe to remember your fallen son. And so therefore, people had to look elsewhere. There was a feeling of collective grief from these communities that not only had they lost so many young people from their community, but they would never be able to remember them and grieve at the side of a grave. So it's something that led to war memorials springing up uh, around the place. If you go through Britain, if you go through Australia, New Zealand, uh, certainly in America, even in Germany, there are a lot of communities that have war memorials. In France as well, there's a a big tradition of community war memorials. And so in the far-flung places like Australia and New Zealand, those war memorials really became the centre of community grieving. And they couldn't go to a cemetery, they couldn't visit a grave. So instead they would come to these war memorials in the centre of the towns and there they would grieve. So you can see with all these elements coming in, the scale of the disaster, the fact that it was a truly global war, and also the inability of many people to visit these graves meant that there was a feeling that this war had to be remembered. It couldn't be forgotten, and they had to find a way to do that. And the natural way to do that was to commemorate the anniversary of the war ending, the anniversary of the armistice being signed. And so on the 11th of November 1919, in countries around the world they commemorated the first of what they would call Armistice Day. And they did that by having parades of veterans, by laying wreaths at memorials, speeches. In most places, they gave you a day off work and a day off school so you could come together and commemorate. And we have to remember as well that unlike commemorations today, most of the people participating had actively lost someone. They had a very personal connection. They were commemorating not just a spirit of triumph and remembrance, but they were commemorating their father or their brother or their son who had not come back from the war. And in some instances, their daughter or their wife, because we should not forget that nurses and wives and and, and women were very much involved in these global conflicts as well. And so it was a very special day for people, particularly with this idea that war would not be repeated, that through the sacrifice of their family members, they'd effectively ended war for future generations. And that was very much on the mind of the survivors as well. The men who came home very much had the thought in their minds that we went through this terrible trauma so that our children and our grandchildren won't have to. And as we said, as we said sadly, that would not be the case. But you can understand at the time why Armistice Day was so significant. And Armistice Day was commemorated in countries all around the world. Obviously those that had been most affected by the war in France, Belgium, Great Britain, the colonies, the former colonies of Britain, Australia, New Zealand, South Africa, India and of course into North America. So Canada and in the US they commemorated Armistice Day. Now we have to fast forward a little bit through the decades noting that Armistice Day was commemorated on the anniversary of the signing of the Armistice. So on the 11th of November every year countries around the world would commemorate Armistice Day and traditionally at 11am at the time that the war ended they would have a minute's silence often two minutes of silence to remember the fallen so it was a very solemn day and for countries around the world it was their principal day of remembrance of their war dead but as we know from reading our history books the Great War was not the war to end all wars and less than only 20 odd years later we had the second world war breaking out and then of course conflicts followed on from that one the second world war was even more horrific than the first in terms of the, the the cost in human life and the korean war followed vietnam a whole host of wars right up until today and so about the time of the second world war it became obvious to people that simply remembering the dead of the first world war was no longer appropriate so in britain during the, the time of the Second World War, there were calls to, to broaden the nature of the day, to change it from Armistice Day to something that remembered men and women who'd been lost in all wars. And so just after the Second World War in Britain and in Australia New Zealand and those other former colonies of Britain, the Commonwealth countries, Armistice Day became Remembrance Day and became a day of remembering all men and women who'd served and died during wars. It was a little bit different in America it was in 1954 that Armistice Day changed to Veterans Day and became a day of commemoration for people who'd served in uniform. A bit of a funny one in America because there is also uh, Memorial Day in May and the distinction is Veterans Day in November remembers all men and women who've served in uniform during times of war and Memorial Day is specifically for those who's die- who have died. So that's the distinction between the two days. But it's not a uniquely... American situation in Australia where I am we also have our main day of commemoration in April as Anzac Day which commemorates the day Australians landed at Gallipoli in 1915 our first major action of the First World War our first major action as a nation on the world stage so Anzac Day is our main day of commemoration and so therefore remembrance day on November 11 is a little bit of a poor cousin in America Memorial Day and Veterans Day are both holidays uh, but that's not the case in Australia Anzac Day is a public holiday but Remembrance Day is not a public holiday although people are still encouraged to pause and and remember at 11am and and services are held at local memorials uh, around different communities across Australia. In Britain the commemoration of Remembrance Day is a little bit different as well. Remembrance Day is commemorated on November 11 and uh, with a minute's silence at 11am but in Britain there's now a strong tradition of Remembrance Sunday which means that the Sunday closest to November 11 becomes a day of commemoration and, and a large amount of commemorative services are held at key war memorials uh, in Britain on Remembrance Sunday. In other countries such as France and Belgium, November 11 is the most significant day of commemoration for them, for their men and women who've died during times of war. Uh, but interestingly in Germany, November 11 is not observed as a day of remembrance, and I think that certainly makes sense. This was not a day of glory and triumph for them. It was the end of four years of utter disaster, and within a couple of decades, they'd be plunged into another war, which is even more disastrous. So as you can expect in Germany, November 11 is not a day of commemoration. So that's an overview of Armistice Day and how it became Remembrance Day and Veterans Day, but there's one more thing I wanted to touch on, which is quite significant to do with Remembrance on November 11, particularly in Europe, uh, particularly in Britain, especially, and in the Commonwealth countries. It's also a factor in, in other places around the world, but most strongly observed in Britain, is the poppy, the red flower, as a symbol of remembrance. And it's a, it's a fascinating story. From the earliest days after the First World War, the poppy was a symbol of service and sacrifice during that war. And the reasons are really fascinating. Poppies, the Flanders poppy in particular that we would find on the battlefields of the First World War in France and Belgium, grows best on broken ground. And so you can imagine that after four years of shellfire churning up the ground, it was a perfect environment for poppies to grow. And so the soldiers often remarked how astounded they were that every spring and summer the entire battlefield would be carpeted with red poppies. It was something extraordinary that they just couldn't believe. The contradiction of all this horror, men living in mud, living in trenches, living below the ground like some sort of awful animal, and then looking out across No Man's Land and seeing the beauty of nature on this broken ground. So No Man's Land between the trenches was muddy, torn by shell holes, there were corpses out there, tangles of barbed wire, smashed trees all the detritus of a battlefield and a pretty horrific one at that. To see, to see that landscape which you'd stared out on and seen the mud and the dust and the smoke and the blood, to look out on that battlefield and see it carpeted in beautiful flowers was something quite shocking to the men and many of them commented about it. Many of them sent poppies home, pressed between the pages of the Bible or folded up in a letter to loved ones at home. So it was quite a significant symbol of what they were going through on the battlefields. And of course, there's another very obvious symbol to do with the poppy, the blood red colour reflecting the blood that had been spilt on the battlefield. And and rumours circulated amongst the men that the reason the poppies grew in such numbers was because they were being fed on the blood of the comrades who died before them. So quite a beautiful flower in just horrific circumstances. And from the earliest days, during and after the war, the red poppy of Flanders became a symbol. It's the symbol of the British Legion, the, the organization that supported veterans and their families after the war. And particularly in Britain, the, the poppy is worn on Remembrance Sunday and uh, quite revered. It's, it's, it's considered poor form to use it in any sort of commercial sense. It's not quite the case in other parts of the world, but the poppy is a symbol of Remembrance Day, more so than it is for for other days of remembrance. And so here in Australia, for example, Uh, people buy a poppy and uh, as part of supporting charities that support veterans they will wear a poppy when they appear on tv or at remembrance day services so it is a symbol of remembrance day quite uniquely around the world So that's the story of Remembrance slash Veterans Day, a very significant day of commemoration around the world, and how it evolved from the First World War and the original Armistice Day. It's really quite a sad reflection on the way the world has gone that that, that it didn't stay Armistice Day, that it didn't commemorate the end of the First World War and the end of fighting in general. We seem to not be able to help ourselves and throughout the 20th century, the bloodiest century in human history, there was war after war after war. So let's hope we do learn some lessons from these days of remembrance. People ask me what should we do on Remembrance Day and the thing that I always tell them is we should remember, we should think about what it means. What did it mean to those families to say goodbye to their father or brother or son and never see him return from the battlefield? To the women who went off and served and many of them died as well, what did it mean to those families and those communities? What does it mean to us today to remember that that sacrifice was made? So Remembrance Day is about remembering. It's about remembering the effects of that war. And on Remembrance Day, I like to go down to my local community war memorial and read those names and just think about what it means for those families and what it means to us today. Hopefully we can learn some lessons from this history and move forward into more peaceful times. But I'd like to encourage you to go out every November on the 11th at 11am and stop and remember those men and women who've made the ultimate sacrifice for all of us and those immortal words that we say here on our days of commemoration lest we forget
1: when you make decisions for your company you look for the no-brainers and if you have a lot of mailing to do stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer it streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient which makes you less busy